We welcome you in the Savior's name to God's house today and to this time of public worship. We're going to sing together paraphrase 58. Where high the heavenly temple stands, where the, the house of God not made with hands, great high priest, our nature wears the guardian of mankind appears.
read the Word of God as we have it in Psalm 10. Psalm 10 is our psalm for today. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, but I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hath hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contain God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of the land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Let's bow together in the presence of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we have come to this place that we know as your house, the place of worship, the place where we offer praise and adoration to God, a place of prayer for your house shall be known as such, a place where the scriptures are opened preached upon, meditated upon, the place where we come as God's people to fellowship with each other, to encourage one another in the Lord. But Lord, principally, we are here to extol your name and to glory in Christ. May we enjoy his presence. May Jesus draw near, be part of this company. May he stand in the midst in his risen power. 
May he commune with every waiting heart in this building. We pray that we will sense and feel in our hearts the overwhelming presence of Christ, our beloved Savior, your beloved Son. Lord, this meeting would be in vain if his presence was absent. But Lord, be here. As you gathered with the disciples and you you sat with them around the table before the cross, as you gathered with them in the days of the resurrection and stood in the midst and communed with them, oh, we pray that the Savior will, will do such for us today. We do beseech thee. We pray for any in our midst who know not the Lord, strangers to your grace. The work of redemption has never been done. They're out of Christ today. And Lord, perhaps they don't even know it, their danger the peril that they're in. Yes, they've been in our meetings and they've listened to gospel services. They've they've heard your word. The truths of the Bible have been set before them, including the everlasting punishment and hell itself for those who die without the Lord. But Lord, maybe these truths have never really gripped their heart. We pray for the opening up of the mind and the understanding We pray for conviction of soul. We pray for the transformation of lives. Lord, bring your word with power and challenge to the ungodly, even as they sit in our midst and show them their need of God's salvation. Help them to know that if they die without the Lord, they're lost forever. And there's no going back and there's no second chances. There's no redemption beyond the grave. Lord, we pray that you will step into their lives and Bring them to Christ. Bless your word today to their hearts and remember especially our family night and all the invitations that have been given out and all the effort that has been made. We simply pray that thou wilt establish the work of our hands upon us, that thou wilt bless what we've sought to do for thee in the past week and gather in the people tonight. Lord, pour out your spirit and remember the one who comes to testify. Help him to speak well of Christ. And may there be that drawing power that will bring sinners to the Savior. We pray for those that mourn today. Lord, you know that there are those who have lost loved ones. We commit them into your care. We pray that you'll stand with them in their sorrow, that your presence will go with them every moment. Remember the sick as well, and we we think of Chrissy that was in hospital during the week. We pray that you will remember him for good. You'll touch him in his body and perfect that which concerns him. Lord, hear these our prayers. As we just simply present ourselves to the Lord today for this time, quicken us, everyone, by the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, we pray for the manifestation of the power of God in our midst. For Jesus' sake, amen. We sing together, 418. I'm pressing on the upward way in new heights I'm gaining every day. Sometimes people used to say, how are you? I don't know how you react to that. You might say, I'm fine, I'm I'm doing brilliant or whatever. Uh, I used to say, I'm pressing on the upward way. I'm not sure about the new heights I'm finding every day, but we're seeking by the grace of God to press on and to get to new heights with the Lord in our Christian lives. Let's sing it uh, to the Lord today as we stand to sing. Thank you.
warm word of welcome to the congregation today here at Hebron and to those that are on the internet with us.
trust that you'll be blessed. It's good to have Bobby Magahaga uh, with us, uh, sitting down there. It's been a wee while since he's been able to come, but just to have him here has been a great encouragement. May the Lord bless him, particularly this morning. Uh, it's good to see our young people, any young person that was exhorted to come this morning, and you've made it. We're very, very delighted to have you. One of the greatest joys that any preacher will ever have is to look down and see a congregation. Good that you're all here, but especially among that congregation, the youth of the church. And we welcome our Ukrainian friends. Trust the Lord will bless them and keep them in these days. Just a few announcements that we want to make tonight is family night service at seven. We've been announcing this for some time now, encouraging you to bring others with you. David Johnson will be here to give his testimony. We come to pray. We, we cannot do anything without prayer. And we cannot have a service really without seeking God, especially when we come to present the gospel. And so 6.30 is the time when we come to pray. These are the leaflets that were given out and you've shared this. We've seen it extensively shared on your, your Facebook and so forth. And that's been good. May God bring the people in. Freshmen's will be served tonight, and ladies, you've been asked, uh, please, to bring half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. In the morning, the mother and toddlers, as now the Hebron tots, uh, meets at 10 for two hours from 10 o'clock to 12 noon. We are so encouraged to see uh, the parents that are coming out and the children too. Monday night, session meeting at 8 o'clock. Uh, it might be changed, so we're, we're in discussion about that, but I'll make that announcement for now. Tuesday, the senior fellowship is postponed. My wife hasn't been well, and to give her a proper recovery, we're going to put it off for another week. We think of the Summer Youth Challenge, having mentioned there Tuesday night, or going to mention Tuesday night Youth Challenge at 7. There is this announcement I want to make, and that is to do with the summertime the 7th to the 11th of August are the nights that are set aside in the afternoons as well. You remember that last year we brought the children in, those who were able to sign up for it for uh, football in the afternoon. And at the end of that, there was a, an epilogue and then we brought them to the church, fed them and then the activities here. If you can help, um, all the coaches for the football, I think, are all all in place again, but if you can help go along to supervise in the afternoons with football, if you can help with the evening meal when they come down to the church here at about 5.30 or around that time, see Andrew and he can give you the details and you can sign up and this is something that you could do for the Lord uh, this summer. Thursday is the midweek service at 8 o'clock. Friday night David Johnson will be back again and he will speak on the subject Christians in sport. There was this invitation prepared for young people to share with their friends and uh, if you can read it, you might be able to read the small print, but it speaks about uh, David's involvement in football over the past 30 years. He did pray, play uh, professionally for a time for local clubs in this country and because of an injury that he sustained, I think it's about 15 years ago, he's into coaching. But he's going to deal with this subject, Christians and sport. And you'll see in the, in the black part at the bottom, I believe God.
can use Christians in sport to witness for him, to mature them for future Christian service, and ultimately to bring God glory. So young people, you come, you bring others with you. This will be of benefit for you. Saturday is a time of prayer. It's an online Zoom prayer meeting uh, from 9.30 to 11 o'clock. Jeffrey Abram will speak and we'll get down to prayer. You can register for that on the Free Presbyterian Facebook page link. And we trust that many of you will. On the Lord's Day, we begin with prayer. And these times are always very encouraging. Sunday school is at 10.30. Bible class is at 10.45. Phil will be dealing with the safety and security of the shield. Worship service at 12 noon. The gospel meeting at 7, preceded by prayer. Refreshments will be served. Then on the 25th of March, that Saturday at 11 o'clock in, in Belfast, there is a protest against abortion, and that will be just in front of the city hall. Our moderator will speak. It'll be a family time, so we want families to go and be part of that, as we said last week. And then looking forward to a month's time, we want to give good notification. We have Derek Preston coming to give his testimony. Derek is going to relate his conversion story, but also uh, the triumph of divine grace through cancer and through COVID. And he almost died. In fact, his family were called for to say goodbye. Uh, but the Lord brought him through, and Derek is going to tell something of that God's grace that triumphed in him. And that will be on the 2nd of April. And again, we'll get little leaflets printed for you. Last Lord's Day, we preached on One Bring One. So there are these bookmarkers. I'm not sure if you got one coming in. If you didn't, please take one going out. Brother Joe Cosley, who comes quite often to our services on a Sunday night, um, he very kindly provided these for us, free of charge. It's always gets good to get something free. But he heard about the message, One Bring One, and he's got this for us. So it's a durable one. It's laminated and all. Put it in your Bible. Uh, use it as a bookmarker, but somewhere where you can have it visible uh, often, and it will remind you of your responsibility and mine to bring others to the Savior. So please, we want every, everyone to get a copy of that. We continue to pray for the sick of the congregation, and we did in prayer mention Chrissy. We want you to remember him also. The Lord will be with him. We want to congratulate Dupankar and Anita in India. Uh, their baby was born earlier than expected. She had to go into hospital. And the name of the child is Abigail Anita. So we rejoice with our brother in India and the goodness of God in his life. We want to extend our sincere sympathy to our brother Ernie Clinton and uh, his wife and family, also to James Wallace, his wife and family, on the death of Ernie and Eileen's sister, Hazel McCrellis, trust that the Lord will be with them to comfort them in sorrow. We also extend our sympathy to the McClure family on the death of Frank McClure. Frank in the past would have attended quite regularly the services here. It's always a joy to see him. He, he lived to good years. He didn't quite make his 99th birthday, but uh, almost did. 
and we think of the family. We think of Margaret McClure's sister-in-law. We think of Francis, and we know that Frank was just like a, a father to her. We think of Frank McClure, who worships with us as well. And the funeral service is on Wednesday at Drumrea Presbyterian Church at 11 o'clock. I'm sure many of you will want to go. But we do express our sympathy at this time. We had a good night on Thursday night with our Ukrainian friends, and we thank you for sharing your stories and telling our congregation and so many about the goodness of God in your life. I've had a lot of people contacted us from outside the congregation who have listened in, and they said it was informative, it was encouraging to hear what the Lord was doing. And so this is the panel that took part on Thursday night and uh, spoke very, very well. We thank Anna for doing the translation. And we trust that what you've done will be something that will help people pray for you in the midst of your need. May God bless you. I want you to pray for the Reverend and Mrs. Baxter. They are in Uganda. And for the next seven weeks, they're serving the Lord at Emmanuel Christian School and the, the church there. So pray for them, that the Lord will make them a blessing and an encouragement as they come alongside our sister Noreen from our own congregation. Yesterday, there was a meeting that took place in Stefan's home. You know that these meetings have been going on for over two months now. And they normally took place on a Wednesday. They've changed the day to a Saturday. And so we want to remember uh, this family and all that come in to hear the Word of God. The pastor, Bebe, on the right-hand side uh, is standing there with Stefan. Uh, we're glad to be able to say that a little money towards getting help for a vehicle for him has come in. Maybe we're just over a quarter way through for that. So we are encouraged. He's doing a great work. The delivery of the other chicken coops also took place. Whatever ones needed to be distributed to the poor families, 15 in all, have been provided. And then in the other church, the hot meal project taking place again just yesterday, and these folks gathering in, and the pastor there sending some photographs just to let us know this work's going on. And we want to thank you, some of you here, and some that have been listening in to the services for all the help that you've given to these projects and out into the mountains of Godeshti uh, to this Roma community, two villages. Again, this was yesterday and the people coming out to listen to the Word of God and then just something very simple, some apples and bread and uh, some biscuits, I think, being handed over to these needy people. And most of all, best of all, copies of the Scripture being given out uh, to those who require them so they can read the Word of God for themselves. Tithes and offerings are brought into the Lord's house. We indicated last week we'll come back to the usual way. Um, just to stress again, if, if you give it through uh, bank transfer, don't worry about that. Just pass the collection plate on to the next person. Today is Let the Bible Speak in the Missionary Covenant Support. And we sing together our offering hymn, which is 406. Keeping our seats for the opening part of it. More about Jesus would I know. 
more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More and more about Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus. visitors here this morning, and we bid you welcome, of course, and uh, I'm just seeing Janice as well, always welcome when you come home to Balamone, trust the Lord will bless you. We're turning to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 for our Bible reading.
We sang that hymn earlier about being led up the mountain. It's always good to be in the mountain, but usually it is short-lived, and we're not always in the mountain. We thank God for those times when he takes us there, and maybe not every day are we finding new heights either, but God has times to bless us. He's times to bring us into the valley, and he's times to bring us into the mountain. But as we shall see today in the norm, really, the norm is, is more routine in the Christian life, just walking with God, pleasing him day by day. Coming to the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, let's read it. <coughs> Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, or he knew not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Ending the reading at verse 10. That's a wee word of prayer. Lord, we commit ourselves to thee in the word. We pray that you will lead us a little bit, at least, up the mountain with God today. We pray that you'll bring us to, to see this scene, to understand a little bit of what is happening here in the lives of these disciples. And Lord, we pray that we will be brought to see Jesus. These men were brought eventually to see Jesus only. And that would be our desire of heart. More and more, more about Jesus would I know. We pray that we will be taught of God and that you will come by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit now and work in our hearts. Give me help to bring the message. Lord, give me, give me thoughts that are of God today. Give me a heart that is full of compassion. Give me a love in my soul as I preach the word to our people here at Hebron today. Make your word a blessing, a challenge. And may we leave God's house saying, it was good for us to have been here for Jesus' sake. Amen. A mountaintop experience with Christ. That's what I want to preach on. We've, we've read that in the scene that is before us. 
The Christian life is a life that is usually constant, stable, and a blessed walk with God every day. We have our normal routine, both in our private lives and also in our public service. And by this, I mean that we are fulfilling day by day our duties and our commitments to the Lord, what God expects of every faithful Christian. It is a simple yet serious walk with our blessed Lord and Savior as we seek to please Him and and live right, live right in this world in the light of the great day when we shall stand before Almighty God. In our personal lives, we have our times and our seasons of fellowship with God in prayer and meditation. That's when you and I as Christians just get alone with God and we spend time reading the Scriptures and meditating upon them and and seeking the Lord in prayer. We have responsibilities in, in our homes as we relate to our families the things of God, living before them, being a good example in front of them, teaching our children the things of God, bringing them up in the fear and admonition of Almighty God. And we have a testimony to uphold before the world in general in this sinful generation in which we live. That's what it is for us individually, personally, as Christians walking in this life. That's the daily routine of what it is to walk with God, our personal relationship with God, what we are in our home, and then what we are a little bit further out into the community. In our public lives, we have duties as members of the, the body of Christ in our local church, where God has made his people a body. That picture or metaphor is set before us over and over again in the Scriptures that we are a body, members of one another in the body of Christ, Jesus being the great head of that body. And we think of the local church, it's a body. And we have our functions within the life and the witness of the local church, the fellowship that we enjoy, the one with the other, the loyalty that we show one to another, the times we gather for prayer, the encouragement that we ought to be to each other, giving to the work of God. That's a ministry in itself, the Bible says. Our outreach work, our missionary support, all these things, privately and publicly, combine to produce a normal, routine Christian experience full of joy and blessing. However, in our Christian lives, there are periods which are out of the ordinary. They are not usually the norm. They are not the common day experiences that we are accustomed to. They might be described as valley experiences and also mountaintop experiences. There are times when we sink into a low valley in the plan and the providence of God. Days when our faith is greatly challenged and tested by the Lord when trouble and trial comes. And every one of us, I'm sure, we've been there. We've been in the valley. We've been in the low places of our lives. And then there are times when we are, we are brought into the mountain with Almighty God. 
And these are unique times, special visitations of God in his power and his presence. We are brought to see and experience the great and the mighty things of which the Bible speaks. And I'm sure that we wish that they were in the majority and that the valleys were in the minority. It is God that directs our paths, both privately and publicly. It is God that ordains all that comes to pass for each one of us in our personal lives and in a church context. As we're dealing with a mountaintop experience in the lives of the three named apostles in Mark chapter 9, in what is commonly called the Mount of Transfiguration, I want to consider the mountaintop experience with Christ. That's when you're up there in mighty blessing. Pentecost was a mountaintop experience with God, undoubtedly, for those apostles that were involved, those Christians indeed that were there at that time. When the power of God fell in a most unique way, when those men were so filled and baptized where the Holy Ghost went out to preach the gospel and they saw the thousands converted, that was a mountaintop experience. We can also say that the revival in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 was a mountaintop experience for Philip the evangelist who was so mightily used of God when he went to that city and saw the city turned upside down for God and joy brought to that city a mountaintop experience. And I suppose as you go towards the end of chapter 8, when he was called by God out into the desert, maybe wondering why he was leaving revival behind to go out into the wilderness, yet there was a man there that needed the gospel, a man that he shared the gospel of Christ with, who got gloriously saved. Uh, And that conversion, no doubt in Philip's life, was a mountaintop experience because the Ethiopian eunuch brought the gospel back to Africa. And undoubtedly, the gospel then began to spread in that mighty nation in the African countries as a result. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus was a mountaintop experience to have a man of that nature and that background who was busily engaged in persecuting the people of God and desiring their their imprisonment and their death, to see that man gloriously converted on the road to Damascus, that was a mountaintop experience undoubtedly. Peter preaching to Cornelius and his family and friends that gathered there in Acts chapter 10 was a mountaintop experience for the apostle Peter. You remember how the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on that congregation the mighty power of God coming upon that Gentile world. And Peter goes on to report about it and the the might and the power of God that so descended. We can say, undoubtedly, a mountaintop experience. Throughout the centuries of church history, we also have mountaintop experiences, times of refreshing from the presence of God, days of reformation, days of revival, days of regeneration when there were many converts Charles Haddon Spurgeon, commonly known as the Prince of Preachers, for 30 years preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London to 5,000 people morning and evening, consistently, not every week, 
Not every year was a mountaintop experience, but I can tell you as you read the history of Spurgeon, there were times when God really came down and God blessed his ministry and God brought him into the mountaintop. Billy Sunday is widely considered to be the most influential American evangelist. It is likely that he preached to over 100 million people face to face in his lifetime and well over one million people were converted through his ministry and through his time of public preaching. The Lord was pleased to bring him into the mountaintop on many an occasion, and he had such times with the Lord. D.L. Moody had constant mountaintop experiences with God when he saw the thousands, tens of thousands, swept into the kingdom of Christ. Thousands attended his meetings. Often he was preaching to 12, between twelve and 20,000 people. What an audience! Mountaintop experiences, you might say. What about you and I? Have we known such? Was it not a, a mountaintop experience in Cabra way back in 1951 when the gospel mission was held and God came down to the old schoolhouse out there? A hundred people were converted. Some of you were there. You have recollections of that. I believe that was a pivotal time in the history of our church. Of course it was. And God gave a mountaintop experience. The 76th mission with the Reverend Kenneth Elliott undoubtedly was a mountaintop experience when so many of you that are here were converted to Christ. And during the last six, 26 years that I've been with you in Balamani, I recall missions when the Lord did visit us, special nights when God came down Sometimes it was in the place of prayer and the people of God were, were broken and crying before God. Other times it was in a meeting where we knew a real conscious sense of the presence of God. Oh, not every night at every mission, but there were times God brought us into the mountain and we enjoyed such sweet times with him. We can look back to special times. I see some of the Owens family sitting here. I just found a little note in my Bible uh, in the past week about the time when God began to move in that family. Remember, Mr. and Mrs. Owens had prayed for their children for so many years, and then one by one, God, it was just a special time over a period of time when, when God saved this person and God saved the other person and brought this man to Christ and brought his girlfriend to Christ. And think of Armin coming to know the Lord. And think of Melanie trusting in Christ. Think of Melanie's mother coming to the Lord. Those were special times when the Lord came down and dealt with that family. And I can think of individuals here that were converted. And we can say that your conversion in this house of God was a mountaintop experience for us. And just recently, we had the opportunity to, to visit the land of Romania and to, to visit that family that means so much to us and just to sit in their home and to hear that four of them had professed faith in Christ little Florentina, her mother, Krina, her brother-in-law, uh, Patrick, and his wife. That brought joy to my heart. And for me, personally, and I hope maybe even for others that were there, that was a mountaintop experience for us. And I'm sure you've all experienced such times with God. Days when the Lord has drawn near. He's brought you into the banqueting house. He has created soul thirst in your heart. He has made himself known and it just seemed that heaven came down. And you've enjoyed that. Don't be long for such times. 
Don't we, we want the Lord to, to draw near and commune with us in a most powerful way. Days of heaven upon the earth. Peter, James, and John are brought into the mountain with Christ. Not all the disciples. Just these three. Reminding us that sometimes Christ selects individuals for such experiences, for such times. And these three men were selected by the Lord. Something happens up there in the mountain that was unique and special and deeply moving and blessed. Christ is transfigured before them. He was changed. Scripture says that his his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. This brightness that these men viewed was something of the glory of Christ, which had been veiled in the incarnation, but now they're getting a glimpse of the very glory of Christ, that glory that he had before he came into the world, and that glory that he now enjoys in heaven at the right hand of the Father. What a blessed sight that must have been, in addition to this grand and glorious experience, was the appearance of two Old Testament saints, Moses and Elijah, who were seen communing with the Savior. The testimony of these men is summed up by Peter when Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. We want experiences with Christ in the overwhelming sense of his presence. When we get a glimpse of his glory, majesty, and power, when our meeting times with him causes us to exclaim also, Master, it was good for us to have been here. That might happen some Sabbath morning. We don't know what God has planned for any Sabbath, but maybe one of these Sabbaths, I pray God, we might even have a sense of it today when the Lord will come so graciously near to his people and do something, something remarkable. It might happen on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning at the time of prayer when we gather together to seek the Lord at the throne of grace. It might even happen personally at home when you shut yourself alone with God. You get into the quiet place and you have a tremendous experience with Christ. All the more reason not to be absent from the house of God on his day or at special prayer meetings lest you miss out on what the Lord is going to do. Let's learn from this mountaintop experience that took place 2,000 years ago. Let us learn what it really means or what constitutes a mountaintop experience with Christ. You can't work it up in the flesh. You can't manufacture such times. There are many false claims today of of remarkable things that are happening, and they put the word revival on it, and it's far from what real revival is. We can't work it up, but dear Christians, we can make ourselves available. We can place ourselves in the way of God's blessing. We can keep as close to Christ as we possibly can, as these men did, and perhaps he will allow us to enjoy special times with him. And you'll note as we come to the message, and the points will be quick like last week, I want you to note this, Jesus 
take us with him, Peter, James, and John, and lead us them up into a high mountain. Jesus took them. Jesus led them. And that's what we want today. I want you to notice, first of all, what they experienced. And verse 2 tells us that after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured gives us our English word metamorphosis. It means to be changed into another form. It denotes a visible change in the outward form of an individual or or even a thing. And Jesus chose these three men to be recipients of a special blessing and a special privilege. He is changed before them. His very garments radiate with dazzling splendor. Excellent glory is how Peter describes it in 2 Peter 1 verse 17. And Matthew tells us in Matthew 17 and 2, as he speaks about this very same event, that his face did shine as the sun. This transfiguration of Christ caused his garments to radiate with dazzling splendor. And the very countenance, his very face shone with brightness. It was a glimpse of the glory of God. Now why he chose these three men in particular, I cannot say. I'm sure many have speculated. We know that that James was one of the first to be martyred for his faith in Christ. We know that Peter would soon follow. History tells us of Peter being executed, martyred for the faith. John lived to be an old man, though he suffered for a time banishment in the island of Patmos. So why the Lord chooses these three men, we don't know. This experience of seeing Christ's glory together with the voice from heaven that we read about in verse 8 would undoubtedly instill a deep conviction into the hearts of these disciples regarding the deity of Christ. Such a testimony would confirm that Jesus was truly God, but his essential deity was hidden by the veil of the flesh. John certainly went on to declare when he penned his gospel. And he began that gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John was totally convinced of the deity of Christ, as the other men were, and went on to write about it in John chapter 1. In order for us to have great experiences with God, He will take us to those places. He will lead us to those heights. You will not find this kind of blessing in the world. I think that's important just to to point out to you, dear child of God. Pursuing worldly activities, sitting watching your television at home, spending endless hours gaming, or on the Xbox or the PlayStation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I tell you, you'll not get an experience with Christ when you're doing those things or scrolling through social media. There's more hours spent on social media in the the lives of many of God's people than at the throne of grace and in the places where they ought to be. I tell you, you will never have experiences with Christ of this nature 
if most of your time are taken up in worldly pursuits. Christians who have any true thoughts about Christ, who are genuinely redeemed by His blood, will desire such times with the Lord. And you can only have those times when you put yourself in the way and you're close to Christ and it'll not be in these other things. What they experienced. What they saw. Look at verse 3. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Verse 4. There appeared unto them Elias with Moses. They were talking with Jesus. And verse 8 brings us to the place where they saw Jesus only. What did they see? Well, they saw Christ in his glory. We have alluded to this already, the transfiguration of the Lord when he was changed before them and he shone in dazzling splendor. They also saw Elias and Moses. These men appear to to bear witness to Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who was foretold by the Old Testament prophets that Jesus would come into the world. And these men were told, were talking with Jesus. The disciples are looking now. And Jesus is there in dazzling splendor. The other two men have appeared, Moses and Elijah. And what are they doing? They're talking with Jesus. But what are they talking about? Do you know what they're talking about? It doesn't tell us in Mark. We have to go to the account given to us by Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, dealing with the same incident, the transfiguration. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Of all the things that they could have discussed. This is the center of their conversation, the decease of Christ. In other words, the death of the Lord Jesus. They spoke about what Jesus was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Soon Jesus would start his journey to the capital city at first, where he was received and welcomed. Remember the triumphal ride of Christ into the city? The people gather, they line the streets, they, they throw their garments in the way, the palm trees as well. But very soon that was all to change from the welcome that he received to the rejection that he was given. We think of Gethsemane. We think of Gabbatha and Golgotha, the three places of suffering that the Lord Jesus endured. Christ was going to accomplish eternal redemption for all who would believe in him to the saving of their souls. He would pour out his blood in sacrifice, endure the wrath of a holy God against sin. He would die the death of the substitute. And all this was ordained of God for our salvation. And this is what Moses and Elijah talked about. Talked about the cross. Talked about the decease, the, the death of the Lord Jesus. And there's not, not a greater subject that you or I could ever talk about. And I hope as Christians you do talk about it outside church. That when you gather as families, when you gather as friends, when you meet with other people, that somewhere there in the conversation you're talking about Christ 
and you're talking particularly about his death, his wondrous death for you upon the cross of Calvary, that that somewhere has a place in your conversation with other people. They talked about the Lord in his decease. And then, of course, they're brought to see Jesus only. That's a wonderful thought there, and maybe we'll come back to that. We'll see how the Lord leads us next week or whatever. But I want you to notice thirdly what they said. Verses 5 and 6. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. For he wist not, he knew not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Here's the testimony of Peter. Mark it in your Bible. Master, it's good for us to be here. These men have been brought to Christ to see also two illustrious men of faith. They've heard a conversation about the cross, the death of the Savior, and they felt the benefit of this experience in their souls, and they exclaim, it's good to be here. I think any mountaintop experience with God will cause us to feel this way. Any conversation that leads us to Christ, especially in his wondrous death, will, will cause us to exclaim these words. If you are led to Christ in your conversations, the one with the other, you're going to feel this way. It's been good to be here. It's been good, brethren and sisters, whoever you're with, to be here because we've talked about the Lord. We've talked about the cross and our hearts have been warmed as a result. If you sit at the feet of the Savior in God's house on a day like this, you come for worship and you meet with him in the word, surely you will have thoughts along these lines. It's good to be here. Your testimony as you go out through those doors and you leave the house of God will be, I was so glad to come to the house of God because I met with the Lord. It was good for me to be here. May that be your experience more often instead of going out and speaking about trivial things and and things that are not important at all. To say, I met with God today. I was brought face to face with Christ. I enjoyed sweet fellowship with Him. Oh, how good it was for me to be in the house of God today. If you meet with Christ in your devotions, when you've gone into the closet and you've shut the door, you will testify, as Peter did, it was good to be here. You know, this little sentence got me to think as I studied for the message. It brought me to consider, and I want you to listen to this carefully, it brought me to consider that there are times, maybe places, that I find myself in or people that I mix with and I'm a Christian, and they're not. And I shouldn't be mixing, perhaps, with them in the context that I'm referring to. And I cannot possibly leave those places and leave those people with this thought in my heart. You understand what I'm saying? Places that you go, maybe, dear Christian, where you should not. People that you're with, that you shouldn't be mixing with the things that you do together, the conversations that you hold together. It's impossible to leave those places and leave those people saying, it was good for me to be here. Because I met with Christ, met with the Lord, when you didn't. 
I think it's good to ponder this, men and women, young people especially. Do you drift to worldly places at times? You find yourself in atmospheres which are not good for your spiritual benefit and well-being. And if you're honest, you, you certainly do not meet with Christ. And you cannot bear the testimony of Peter. It was good for me to be there. Are there godless people you mix with and their conversation and their conduct bring disrepute to the Savior and it has not been good for you to have been there as a child of God? As a result of what happened in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter wanted to build three tabernacles or or booths, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and the other for Elijah. And this gives the idea of wanting to continue for a while. Booths were places where you dwelled. I I just want to continue for a while with Christ and with these men. I I want to enjoy their fellowship, and I I want to, to hear such things as I've listened to. And I understand why Peter might think this way, and I suppose when God gives us a mountaintop experience, we say, Lord, I want, to, I want to dwell here. I want to live here for a little bit longer. But you know, it was impulsive on Peter's part to think that way. Peter was impetuous. Peter made decisions so quickly. We know that was his nature. He suggested this for really, because the Bible tells us here, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to say having viewed everything and listened to everything, didn't know what to say because he was sore afraid as the other men were. But you know, my friends, even if this wasn't the right thing to do or the right way to think, we have to admire Peter's enthusiasm and his excitement because I want to tell you something. I would rather have zeal without knowledge than have knowledge without zeal. I want both. I want knowledge and I want zeal. But far better to have the nature of Peter and to be excited about the things of God and maybe not even to to just think the right way or be able to process it because he didn't know what to think, but to have that zeal and to have none at all with all the knowledge that you might possess. Spurgeon commenting on this very thing here, this experience. He says Peter was open-hearted, bold, enthusiastic. To my mind, there is something very lovable about Peter. And in my opinion, we need more Peters in the church of the present day. Though they are rash, and impulsive, yet there is a fire in them and there is steam in them so that they keep us going. And that's so true. Peter and his two colleagues were not to dwell on the mountaintop, you see, continually. That's not the constant experience of the child of God on earth. We have all had times on the mountain when we have seen things and we have witnessed things from God, but God will not allow us to stay on the mountaintop. We must come down. We must come down to what we've called the normality. 
what the ordinary Christian walk is in this life day by day. We're not going to live on the mountaintop every day. It's interesting to note what these men actually did come down to. Because when they left the Mount of Transfiguration, they came down to a scene of demonic activity. They came down to the scene of a young lad whose life was overrun by the devil and whose father was beseeching an answer, a cure for this young man. And where the disciples had met with absolute defeat until Christ came. But they left the mountaintop. I want you to see that. They had to come down to the ordinary. I close with what they heard. What did they hear? They heard a voice from heaven in verse 7. Out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Hear him. The voice of the father from heaven calls out. I can picture the scene in my mind's eye. They see the the Shekinah glory of Christ in the transfigured form of the Savior. They witness two Old Testament saints communing with the Lord, one who lived 14, 1500 years previously and the other 900 years beforehand. They feel a sense of awe and honor at the same time stating that it was good to be there. Indeed, their hearts were filled with fear. But now a cloud descends over the summit of that mount. And the voice of God the Father is distinctly heard to declare who Christ was. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Matthew gives us the additional words of the Father in whom I am well pleased. So we can put it all there. This is my beloved son on whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It's also found in Peter's second epistle in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 17 as he writes about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration and the voice that was heard from heaven. And here we have, just as we conclude, conclude there's divine affirmation here. This is my Beloved Son, the Father is declaring and He is affirming the deity of His Son. When God the Father calls Jesus my beloved Son, it's the same as saying He is God. He's God the Son. And the Father's declaring that. He's affirming that. Divine affirmation. And there's divine approval in whom I am well pleased. Everything that Jesus did on earth pleased the Father. His entire life from beginning to end. Every conversation that he held. Everything that he did. All his conduct. All about the Savior. Including his wondrous death upon the cross of Calvary. It pleased the Father. When he looked down and he surveyed his Son upon the earth. Jesus even gave that testimony when he was here upon this earth. I do always those things that please him. He said that in John 8 and 29. And by the way, we should seek to live that way. If you're a Christian, you want to live every day to please God. You want the Father to look down and say, I'm pleased with you, in whom I am well pleased. You want your conversations. You want your conduct. The places that you go, the people you mix with. You want that all to please the Lord. Enoch had that testimony that he walked with God, but it tells us in the Scriptures that he pleased God. 
want to please the Lord. And then we have this divine advice, hear him. Hear him. Not Moses, not Elijah, nothing wrong with hearing them. They're speaking well about the Lord. They're talking about his death. But we need to hear him. We need to hear Christ principally of all. And I conclude this message by saying to you, turn your ears Christward. Listen to what he has to say to you every day and then obey it and live by it. I can tell you nothing better to do as you leave God's house today than hear him. Listen to him. And may you hear him speak to you every day of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mountaintop experiences. We know that they might be few. We thank you for the valley times because we know that they are ordained of God as well. But Lord, in the norm, we have to come down from the mount. We have to come down to the ordinary routine of what it is to walk with God every day. As we do so, Lord, may it be with this desire to please God, to walk with the Lord and to hear from him every day of our lives. Bless your people, the thoughts that we've had here in your word today. Oh, bless them. Let us not forget them. Help us to apply them. Oh, Spirit of God, apply them. Teach us your way and help us to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen. We'll sing our closing hymn. I'll not go to the door this morning, but we'll sing 572. Then you can leave the house of God. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Let's just sing about our wonderful Savior as we close the meeting today. Shall we rise to sing?
day. When clothed in his brightness transported, I rise to meet him in clouds of the sky. Bless your people as they depart now from the house of God. Keep us in the spirit of prayer and expectation. All visit us tonight with the mighty power of God at family night. And do wonders among us and exploits in this very town where we live and bring changes for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.